It's up for debate on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every single weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. where I will be here live, bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio and the KJAC Sports Podcast on Spotify. So make sure if you ever miss an episode, you tune in on Spotify. Just search up Up for Debate or KJAC Sports and you should be able to find it. But we have a very loaded episode for you today. The first game of the Eastern Conference Finals was last night. Game 7 of the Western Conference Semifinals was last night. That's debatable. Another edition of That's Debatable. And is Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins a duo to go down in history And we're going to jump right in with the Denver Nuggets and the LA Clippers in a crucial game seven. Now the Denver Nuggets came into this series down three to one and the LA Clippers started out as the much better team. They looked like the all around more talented team. Kawhi Leonard was playing out of his mind and we weren't really getting too many or too much production from Jamal Murray. And that was a big issue for this Denver Nuggets team is they don't really have three big-time scorers. Now, they have Jokic and they have Jamal Murray, and those were supposed to be the one-two punch that the Denver Nuggets kind of go with all season long. But a few games throughout this series, and it didn't really look as promising for this Nuggets team. Jamal Murray wasn't on top of his game, even though Jokic was playing really well. Everyone around Jokic wasn't really doing as much as they could. So the Nuggets fell down 3-1, and this series looked pretty much over just like the Utah Jazz series in the first round. The Denver Nuggets got behind, and they really didn't look like they had much left in the tank. But something changed. Defensive adjustments were a huge story for this Denver Nuggets team. And Wes Unseld, the defensive coach for this Denver Nuggets team, is really getting a lot of looks now as a head coach potential because of what he did in the last couple games adjusting to the Clippers and to the Jazz's defense when behind in the series. Now, they did a great job slowing everything down, slowing down the Clippers, slowing all of that down. So how do you stop a team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Marcus Morris and so many different options on the offensive end? Well, for the Nuggets, it was letting them shoot themselves into trouble. Paul George shot himself into a giant hole, two for 11 from three-point range. Kawhi Leonard didn't even score 20 points, which is a huge surprise for somebody as his stature and his skill set in such an important game. I mean, the Denver Nuggets locked up on defense and made the Clippers create their own opportunities and create their own opportunities they did and they weren't able to capitalize. They couldn't capitalize on their own opportunities, so the Nuggets came out on top, and the defensive adjustments were huge. But here's the thing. The Clippers focused their defense on Jokic, and double teams galore for Jokic. He was just double teamed all game long. And for the most part, it kind of worked. He was held to 16 points. He only had 13 shots, which for a superstar player, for the star of the Nuggets who's been dominating the series – That's kind of what you want to see. But when you double-team Jokic, you have to understand that he is one of the best playmakers in the NBA. And he's going to pass out of trouble if he gets into trouble. And that's exactly what he did. And the thing about this is the Clippers had the right game plan. They planned this game right. Take Jokic's point-scoring ability away and force everybody else to beat them. 
And that's what they did. They forced Jamal Murray. They forced Gary Harris. They forced Jeremy Grant to put the points on the board that Jokic couldn't. And that's kind of been the issue that this Denver team has had is beyond Jokic and beyond Jamal Murray, there really haven't been too much. But Jamal Murray stepped up to the plate. Of course, he had 40 points. He was 15 for 26. He was very efficient. And he looked like a star once again. Now, this is the thing with Jamal Murray. We've seen that he has the star power. We've seen that he has the potential to do it. And we've seen that he can put up 40, 50-point games in the playoffs. We've seen all that. But can he do it at a consistent level? That's the big thing with Jamal Murray. Can he do it consistently? Can he go into the next series against the L.A. Lakers and have every single game as 25-plus points? Can he put up that much like he's supposed to? like the Denver Nuggets need out of him. Now, beyond, beyond Jamal Murray, there was a lot of help from Jeremy Grant and Gary Harris. So offensively, this Nuggets team was in a much better situation. And that's something they've had a little bit of a harder time with beyond those top two. Gary Harris has stepped up tremendously and has really been the key for this team defensively. I mean, ever since Gary Harris stepped into lineup in the Utah Jazz series, things have really taken a big turn. Once he was on Donovan Mitchell, once they put Gary Harris, a smaller defender than Jeremy Grant, on a guard like he's supposed to cover, things really turned around for this Nuggets team. And without Gary Harris's contribution in the first round, without that steal at the end of the game on Donovan Mitchell, I'm not sure that this Denver Nuggets team is in the Western Conference Finals. Now against the LA Clippers, Gary Harris's defensive paralysis was shown once again as he was on Kawhi Leonard or Paul George the entire game. And both of those guys, both of them had a terrible game as far as they go. So what is going to happen for this Clippers team? Is this the end of the Clippers? I mean, they put a lot into this team. For Paul George, they traded Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, and five first-round picks. They traded everything for Paul George. And then to make it a little bit worse, Marcus Morris was a first-round draft pick. I mean, they traded a first-round draft pick for him. So you traded six first-round draft picks. Your future shooting guard in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, one of the more talented young players in the league, and a scorer, a known scorer in Danilo Gallinari, who has been a constant threat on whatever team he goes on, all of those players, all of those draft picks, all of the potential future for this Clippers team, and they end up as a second-round knockout. I mean, this has got to be the biggest disappointment for the L.A. Clippers. Now, I know that they've never made it there before. I know that this isn't a big surprise for their fan base as they've never won that championship. They don't make it too deep in the playoffs very often. But when you put so much into a team, when you put so much into getting Kawhi Leonard, into getting Paul George, into getting all those key pieces, and you completely throw away the future, I mean, what does this team have left? If they don't win the championship this year, if they don't win it next year, then what are they going to do? I mean, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can only do so much. And when you take away all of the options around them, when you take away all the young keys, all the first round draft picks that they have to potentially build around this team, how are they going to get into a deep playoff series? How are they going to win an NBA championship? I mean, they've dismantled this team completely. And now the next couple of years are really a question mark. 
can the Clippers figure out how to get young talent on this team? Can they afford to build the roster outside of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? I mean, there's a lot of questions this Clipper team has to ask, and giving up six first-round draft picks for Marcus Morris and Paul George to only make it to the second round, to get knocked out in a game seven against a three-seed, I mean, come on. The L.A. Clippers need to do better than that. Now, the Clippers disappeared, and I think that's a big blemish on Kawhi's resume. Now, Kawhi is being considered one of the greatest in the NBA, and he deserves to be considered one of the greatest in the NBA. I mean, the only reason that I was giving the Clippers any shot of a chance in in last night's game was because they have Kawhi Leonard. Even though the Nuggets had the momentum, even though the Nuggets have Jokic and Jamal Murray, Kawhi Leonard was the best player on the court. And Kawhi Leonard losing that game, having such a poor outing, is not going to cut it. I mean, plain and simple, it is not going to cut it for somebody who is supposed to be one of the best in the game. Now, Kawhi Leonard has a NBA championship or a couple NBA championships and a couple finals MVPs on his resume. When he was with the Spurs, he won a championship. When he was with the Raptors, he won a championship. So we know Kawhi Leonard is a winner. But now that he's kind of got on this Clippers team, he's built around himself, brought in Paul George, he's got Lou Will, he's got Montrez Harrell, he wasn't able to get it done. So is this more of a blemish on Kawhi's resume? Or is this more saying that the Clippers were not a good enough team around him to get it done? I mean, because that's a big time question. Is Kawhi Leonard at fault for this losing series? I mean, 14 points isn't going to do it, and I know a lot of the blame is going to go on Paul George. Paul George played terribly, plain and simple, but Kawhi Leonard also didn't play well. Kawhi Leonard also didn't show up in the Game 7 where Jamal Murray did, and Nikolai Jokic did, and Jeremy Grant and Gary Harris did show up. So... If the best player on the planet, quote-unquote, in Kawhi Leonard didn't show up, is he really the best player on the planet? I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, is Daniel Tice the key for the Celtics? Stay tuned. When Daniel Tice fouled out in the Game 1 of the Boston Celtics and Miami Heat Eastern Conference Championship game, everything started to take a negative turn for the Boston Celtics. Defensively, this Celtics team was exposed. Now, Daniel Tice fouled out, and everything went downhill. The Boston Celtics really couldn't stop interior scoring from this Miami Heat team, and the Miami Heat ended up winning the game in overtime. Daniel Tice is not an offensive player on this team. I mean, he had 35 minutes. He had three shots, four points. He's not going to be a guy who has an offensive impact on the Boston Celtics team. But he is the key player for this Boston Celtics because they have no other interior defender outside of Daniel Tice. Now, with Daniel Tice on the floor, they have a really nice small ball lineup with a big enough center to run the small ball. Now, that's the thing. You need a big enough center to run the small ball, somebody who's who's strong enough, who's physical enough to run it on the inside. But when Daniel Tice fouls out, When you don't have Daniel Tice in the game anymore, that small ball lineup gets a little bit smaller. And when you run the small ball lineup too small, well, look at Houston. Did that work for Houston? Does the small ball lineup work in the NBA? No. 
No. I, I'm going to say no. Daniel Tice is a good small ball center, but I, I think they play more traditional basketball with him at center than a small ball lineup. But when he was out of the game, the Celtics had to revert to a small ball lineup that really didn't work. Brad Wanamaker was the guy who came in instead of Daniel Tice, which is a really interesting decision in my eyes. Now, Daniel Tice was taken out of the game, obviously six fouls, but Brad Wanamaker was put in to replace him. Now, Wanamaker's six foot three and a defensive guard, he can put up a decent amount of points. I mean, he's a good player. But when you're losing a center and you replace him with a guard, you're going to have a little bit of uh, miss, missed spots on defense. And that's exactly what happened because Jason Tatum, he's not a center. And he doesn't have the talent or the physical build to be a center or to defensively dominate on the inside. Now, although he is six foot eight, just like Daniel Tice, Daniel Tice has about 40 pounds on him. He's got 40 pounds of muscle weight that he uses to bully people and control people's weight on the inside. And Jason Tatum doesn't have that. So when you put Jason Tatum at center, he's easily exposed by inside scoring. And that was clear all game long at the end of the game. Once overtime happened, once Daniel Tice fouled out, the inside scoring started to, to become easier. Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, they all started to score inside, and that's exactly what this Miami Heat team likes to do. They're an inside-out team who can score inside or outside. And we're not going to see much from the mid-range outside of Jimmy Butler, maybe a little Goran Dragic, but inside-out game for this Miami Heat team is really effective when there's no center on the inside to defend them. So Goran Dragic, without a center to defend him, had himself a great game. Now, this is the big thing with this series. This is the big reason Daniel Tice is the key because this Boston Celtics team is good enough offensively to beat the Miami Heat. I mean, they're good enough offensively. Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, those three guys in itself are a good enough big three to beat this Miami Heat team. But the issue with that is defensively, Daniel Tice is their anchor. The Celtics need Daniel Tice on that defensive side of the ball because they don't have another big capable of defending the interior. And Bam Adebayo is too good to be giving Jason Tatum as a matchup. Now, there's nothing against Jason Tatum as a player. Jason Tatum is great, and he's shown that he has that superstar potential. But defensively, he is not going to be able to match up with a center like Bam Adebayo defensively he's not going to match up with a guy like Anthony Davis or a guy like Jokic so if they make it into the NBA finals they have another issue to worry about just right there so Daniel Tice he can't foul out anymore for the Boston Celtics if they want to win this series Daniel Tice has to stay on the floor I mean he's the most important player for this Celtics team because he's the only one defensively who can get it done on the interior and that is huge for this Celtics team that can already score. They can already guard the perimeter really well. Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown, those are good perimeter defenders. But once you get to that interior defense, this is where the Celtics struggle. And that's why they lost the game in overtime last night. Now, if Drogic goes off like he did last night, if his late shooting is there, if Jimmy Harrow and Bam Adebayo are all doing their things how much can this Boston Celtics team do? How deep can they go? I mean, Daniel Tice is the key player, but 
when you look at the other side of things, the Miami Heat are so deep. They have so many different options. And if one person's having a bad night, if Duncan Robinson can't hit a shot, they have so many other options. And Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, I mean, they have the experience. They have the mindset. They have the offense. They have the defense. This Miami Heat team is built to beat this Boston Celtics squad. And although Jason Tatum has done incredible job leading his team here and has done an incredible job stepping up to the plate this this year it's just not not going to be the year for Jason Tatum but I would be very excited for this Boston Celtics team Jason Tatum has a bright future ahead of him and this young team has a bright future ahead of them as well the Boston Celtics have the shooting they have the offense but they're only missing a couple of pieces that maybe a small free agent could replace and could really enhance that team. Now, Daniel Tice as the only center on this team is really going to cost them in the long run. And even if they do end up advancing past this Miami Heat team, I'm not sure that they can defensively match up with a team like the Denver Nuggets or a team like the LA Lakers with such talented big men. Daniel Tice is great, but when you put him up against a seven-foot center like Jokic or a seven-foot power forward like Anthony Davis, things are going to be a little bit more difficult. That's going to do it for the Boston Celtics and Miami Heat game. When I come back, that's debatable. Stay tuned. Ever since being knocked out of the second round of the playoffs by the Miami Heat, the Milwaukee Bucks' big-time story is Giannis. Giannis is unhappy. Giannis wants a trade. Giannis unfollowed all of his teammates on social media. And keep in mind a lot of other people as well. But this is the big story. Giannis is going somewhere else. That's what everybody thinks. That Giannis doesn't want to play for this Milwaukee Bucks team because they haven't had the success that they've been projected to have. They haven't had the success they're supposed to have. Now, this is the second disappointing season in a row for Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. And when Giannis has played as well as he has through the playoffs, when he's played as well as he has through the regular season, a disappointment like this is awful. Now, this is That's Debatable, a new segment on the show. We're going to try to do it every single weekday. We talk about a topic that is really up for debate topic where people are discussing and I might not agree where there's rumors flowing and I don't know if there's really all that much smoke to the fire now for this edition I want to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo and how unhappy he is with the Milwaukee Bucks because Giannis wanting a trade and Giannis being unhappy well that's debatable we haven't really heard anything from Giannis about how he doesn't want to play for the Milwaukee Bucks We haven't heard anything from Giannis about how he wants a trade, how he wants a new team. We did see that he unfollowed all of his teammates, but I mean, he unfollowed a lot of people, only follows about 10 people now. Most of it is his family. One of them is like his Nike representative. So the people who Giannis follows on social media doesn't matter. If he unfollowed everybody on social media, let's just forget about it. It's not a big deal. People unfollow people on social media all the time. Social media means nothing. Obviously, there are some trends and stuff we can take from social media, like the unfollowings and, and all of that, but he unfollowed more than just his teammates. Giannis unfollowed more than just his teammates, so I don't really want to use that as, as a stepping stone for why Giannis isn't coming back to Milwaukee, because that's grasping at straws, and I don't want to grasp at straws when looking at what's going to happen with Giannis. Now, the Milwaukee Bucks have 
committed themselves to building around Giannis and said they will spend money during the offseason. So if Giannis really likes it in Milwaukee like he says he has, if he really wants to stay in Milwaukee and make the most money possible like he says he does and get that super max contract that he's due up for, not this next offseason, but the offseason after that, then sticking around in Milwaukee is his best option. I mean, Milwaukee has built a team around him, and although they haven't had much success, a lot of that is his fault. I mean, they built all these players, they put all these players around him because they fit his play style, because they needed those outside shooters, because they needed a center who could shoot, because they needed floor spacers, because of this, this, and this, they got the team that they have now, and even though it didn't work, the Bucks are still committed to building around Giannis, because the young superstar still has the potential to win an NBA championship. And with the Milwaukee Bucks is potentially what he wants to do. I mean, he's started a family in Milwaukee, and that's a big deal. That's a big deal to Giannis, who's moved all the way from Greece into the United States and has found a home in Milwaukee. So I think it's debatable to think that Giannis is unhappy. I think that there will be teams that try to go after him, and there will be teams that try to put together trade packages, and there will be teams that want him. But the package that gets Giannis is so expensive that it's not worth it. I mean, who can you give up to get Giannis and get the opportunity to have Giannis? I mean, what kind of player can you give up? I mean, I've heard a lot of rumblings about the Miami Heat being interested. But I can't see a trade between the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks going down without a guy like Tyler Harrow or Kendrick Nunn getting moved. Without one of those young rookies who are playing a big role on that offense getting moved. And I think that it's not worth that type of trade to get a guy like Giannis. I mean, Giannis is going to be the most expensive player on the team, without a doubt. That's 35% of the salary that he's going to take up once he takes that Supermax contract. So... Giannis going elsewhere doesn't seem really realistic to me. But the Bucks being committed to building and being committed to going after new players and going after continued success, that makes sense to me. That I understand. Mike Budenholzer is brought back to the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Bucks have said they're committed. So who's available? Who is available during this offseason? Who is available for the Bucks to improve their team with? Because Giannis, I think, is going to stay. I think he's happy in Milwaukee, even though they haven't had the success that they've wanted. I think that that's where his home is. Obviously, I'm not talking to Giannis. I don't have Giannis on, on my phone ready to call him and ask if he's going to stay in Milwaukee. That's just not something I do. But if he does stay, the Bucks have an opportunity to really build him. Now, first things first, Chris Paul. Chris Paul has been available on the trade block, and this makes a lot of sense for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, they got a bunch of draft picks, a bunch of draft capital when they traded Paul George. So now that they have another asset in Chris Paul who is really expensive and has a really big-time contract, moving him and getting younger pieces and getting younger and putting Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the center of that offense wouldn't be the worst idea for this OKC team. Chris Paul is great, and Chris Paul is a tremendous player, and he really led this team to the playoffs, and I don't think OKC makes the playoffs or has the season they have without Chris Paul. But Chris Paul is only going to do so much for that team. That team is too young. They're not talented enough at this point in time to win an NBA championship. And Chris Paul is at the end of his career. 
So it makes sense for the young OKC to think about trading away Chris Paul. And, well, the Milwaukee Bucks are a good option because they have a lot of their draft capital still. They have a couple young players that they could move. And they have a couple guys that are kind of building up space and not really getting as much playtime as they'd like. Now, most of their players in that situation are their guards. They have Eric Bledsoe as their starter, and that's got to be something that changes. If you bring in Chris Paul, Eric Bledsoe can't be the number one. But the number two option, the number two guy starting, the shooting guard, Wesley Matthews. Is Wesley Matthews really the shooting guard you want to put about around Giannis? Is that really the guy you want to start next to Giannis? So that's the first big issue, is they don't have the guard play that they need. And that's really the only issue that this, this Milwaukee Bucks team has because they have the wings. They've got Giannis, Brooke Lopez. They have Chris Middleton. But then once you get to that guard play, you get to some good three-point shooters. You get to Dante DiVincenzo, but he's really more of a role player. You get to George Hill, once again, more of a role player. And Eric Bledsoe is an overpaid role player. So when you look at all the role players at the guard positions, that's just not going to do it if you want to win a championship. So a Chris Paul trade makes a lot of sense for both of these teams. But if the Milwaukee Bucks don't want to make a trade and they want to go to free agency, there are options. The biggest option I consider for this Milwaukee Bucks team is somebody they've played in the past. And they've played a lot of them. And that's Fred Van Vliet. Now, Fred Van Vliet is a great defender and he is a gritty defender, but he's also going to be a great offensive three-point shooter. He can step into that point guard or into a shooting guard role and really take over. So Fred Van Vliet, I think, is the best option for this Bucks team because he's got the shooting paralysis. Not only does he have the shooting, he's got the defense, which this Milwaukee Bucks team desperately needed. That exterior defense that they had last year was not good enough. And Chris Paul or Fred Van Vliet would make a big improvement to that exterior perimeter defense. Now, do I think that they're going to make a move for either of these guys? I think Chris Paul is more likely. I think that they're really interested in a guy like Chris Paul because he's a winner. And they don't really have a closer on their team. I mean, Giannis is great. Giannis is great, but... When you need a three-point to close out a game, who are you going to give the ball to? When you need a shot, a jump shot to close out the game, you're not going to give it to Giannis. Now, give it to Giannis inside if you need two points. Give it to Giannis on an alley-oop if you need two points. But if you're closing and you need a jump shot, Chris Paul is your guy. He's shown that in Oklahoma City, in all the teams he's played for, the Clippers, the Rockets, he's a closer. He's got that potential. He's got that ability. And Nobody else really on the Milwaukee Bucks does. So you get a closure on that roster, and that puts them just one step ahead of where they were. You get a closure on that roster, and then they have an opportunity to go into and work for an NBA championship. I mean, this Milwaukee Bucks team has the pieces already to win it, but they haven't been able to get it done. So they need to figure something else out, and they need to do a little bit of a shakeup. And if they can bring in a guy like Chris Paul, if they can bring in a true number three scorer, this team is going to be scary. Now, that's the biggest problem with this team, too, is they've not had that third scorer. They've had their one in Giannis, and they've had their two in Chris Middleton. But then beyond that, they just have a bunch of glorified role players. I mean, Brooke Lopez can't be a number three scorer. He's, he's a great player, and he's great defensively, but he's a role player. 
Eric Bledsoe, a role player. I mean, all these guys who they were using in big-time starting minutes outside of Giannis and Chris Middleton are all glorified role players. So if the Milwaukee Bucks can figure out a little bit more of their roster, maybe add a new guard, this is a team that could be dangerous in years to come. But again, we've been talking about the Bucks like this for the last couple of years. We've said the Bucks are going to be perennial playoff contenders, and they have been. They've been there, they've done that, but they can't make it deep into the series, and that's the issue, is they haven't made it deep enough into the playoffs. I mean, when was the last time we saw the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis in the NBA Finals? So until they can figure out that, until they can figure out how to go deeper into the playoff series, they're going to need a lot of work to do. Now I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, a duo to go down in history. Stay tuned. There's a new duo in the NFL, and this duo is going to go down in history. Now, if you look at Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, the new additions for the Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray is a second-year player, was the first overall draft pick last year. DeAndre Hopkins was just traded from the Houston Texans to the Arizona Cardinals. You see two guys who are super talented and two guys who have a great amount of potential that are now going to be working together. Now, this year, my MVP is Kyler Murray, and that is no mistake. And after the first game watching against the San Francisco 49ers, I am even more excited to watch Kyler Murray play. I mean, Kyler Murray is just an eccentric player. I mean, he is a guy who is so fun to watch, and this Arizona Cardinals offense is going to be so much different than what we've seen in the past. Now, the Arizona Cardinals and Arizona teams in general have really not been all that good the last couple of years. And Arizona sports in general really aren't usually at the top tier of the sports markets. And that's not really because of the location or anything like that, but Arizona just hasn't had all that much success in recent years. But now they have a superstar like Kyler Murray and they have their new weapon in DeAndre Hopkins. And I mean, things are going to go well for Arizona this year. Offensively, Kyler Murray is going to be running like Lamar Jackson. And if he can stay healthy, if he can stay out of contact, which he did an incredible job doing last game. I mean, he had 13 carries. He was untouched for most of them. He slid. He got out of bounds. He scored touchdowns. He wasn't hit hard, and that's the big thing. If the Arizona Cardinals can get a guy like Kyler Murray developing on the same trajectory like Lamar Jackson did last year, well, this is a guy who can win MVP. He can go down the exact same trajectory that Lamar Jackson went down. And Kyler Murray has that talent. He has that ability. Now, his first game against one of the best defenses in all of the NFL went according to play. He averaged seven yards per rush. He had a touchdown and a pick passing, which isn't the best, not the worst. But he really felt that connection with his new number one receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. Now, DeAndre Hopkins is a top three receiver in the NFL in my eyes. I mean, there's Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, and Michael Thomas. Those are the top three guys. Devontae Adams, he can, he can be argued up there as well. But DeAndre Hopkins is definitely one of the top three guys in the NFL, and he's shown just why he's such a talented player. If you throw it in his vicinity, he's going to catch it. 
If you put it anywhere near him, if it's able to be caught, DeAndre Hopkins will make the catch. Now, out of 16 targets from Kyler Murray last night, or excuse me, on Sunday, DeAndre Hopkins caught 14. 14 out of 16 targets is incredible, but the 151 yards is what I'm really looking at because they were going down the field to DeAndre Hopkins and they were feeding their star. And that's the big thing. If you get a star, you have to feed them. And DeAndre Hopkins, if you're going to put the ball in his area, he's going to catch it. And that is huge for this team because if you have these incompletions, if you're losing downs because you can't complete a pass, well, you're not going to have the most success. So Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins have already shown 14 catches, 151 yards. They already are a duo. But this is no fluke. 151 yards from DeAndre Hopkins, these are not fluky numbers. This is just what he's going to put up. This is just another day in the office for DeAndre Hopkins. And Kyler Murray should be so happy he's got a new weapon. He should be so happy he's got a guy like DeAndre Hopkins to throw the ball to. Because DeAndre Hopkins is going to catch it. And this Arizona offense is so dynamic. So many great pieces. Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald is still there. And Kenyon Drake at that starting running back position. I mean, this offense didn't skip a beat bringing in D-Hop. They didn't skip a beat. And this Arizona team is just going to keep improving. Now, Cliff Kingsbury, he should have stars in his eyes. He should hear dollar signs clinking in his ear when he sees the connection that Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins has. I mean, these two guys could potentially be a duo for a very, very long time. I mean, Kyler Murray has the MVP potential and DeAndre Hopkins has the MVP potential at that wide receiver position. So both of these guys are just so immensely talented. They're so good at the game. And now they're both on the same team working together. And this Cardinals offense, which hasn't really been all that great the last couple of years, last year it took a real step forward with Kyler Murray. But this offense, it finally has some life. And this Arizona Cardinals team has the opportunity to be a perennial playoff potential. And they have that potential because Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, and defensively, they're getting better. So the Arizona Cardinals' new duo, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, watch out because that's a duo that could go down in history now that's going to do it for up for debate today thank you all for tuning in make sure you tune in every single weekday from 10 to 11 a.m where i will be here live bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports only on kjack radio and on kjack sports podcasts on spotify also follow me on social media where i'll be posting updates for the show i'll be posting the show links to the Spotify, different things like that. So make sure to follow me there at the underscore Cade Reed. Uh, and I will see you guys tomorrow at the same time.